I'm Jeff Smith and welcome to the Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success. And my aim here is to share those secrets with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money. And in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going. And I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can apply the secrets of success into your own life. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Reynolds Karras. Dr. Ray, as he's known by his friends, is a medical doctor working on the streets of New York City. He's gone from being arrested, raised by a single mother on welfare, dropping out of high school. He's been shot at and gangbanging, and now to being a successful medical doctor and businessman who's reached over 4 million people worldwide. This is the story of the underdog who made it through to being the top dog and is now saving lives on the streets of New York. Let's bring in the amazing man himself. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ray. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that wholeheartedly. I appreciate that so much. Well, it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the on the show. I feel privileged. You're looking super cool, super fit. And how's life treating you, my friend? I feel on cloud nine. I am, <laughs> you know, euphoria exists. Okay. You know, and just, just to give you guys a, a perspective of what makes me feel this way this morning was, you know, I woke up, I woke up around 1 a.m. My dog was crying. I took him outside. He needed to use the restroom. He was thirsty. Then two hours later, my newborn baby daughter was crying and I was helping my wife. And then I went to the gym. Although I didn't get much sleep, I feel the euphoria of serving others. You know, the euphoria of serving others, which are the people that rely on me, my dog, my kids, my wife. And then I went to the gym. Wow. But a lot of times people think about the gym and they got this preconceived notion that it's all about aesthetics. It's all about like the vanity, but it's therapy. So, you know, you're looking at me and you're like, oh, you're fit. You look happy. It's because I did things that get me one step closer to being happy it's 8 a.m here in new york city i've already been awake for about five hours i got so much done but while the world is waking up for the first time that this is one of the reasons why you could you could perceive my 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 vibe through the screen okay well some of that some of us after a newborn baby uh, <laughs> also don't have a lot of sleep but for different reasons so how old's your baby girl what's her name her name is dahlia preciosa kairos so oh. dahlia is like a rose preciosa means precious in spanish uh, by the way guys i'm bilingual and uh kairos is my last name she is 10 weeks old. Oh, wow. So what a magical time. Yeah, magical yes, time in your life. Huh? 
Yes, sir. And they grow so fast because uh, we have this outfit that we we bought with so much eagerness that we put it on her at three weeks. And then we took a picture with the same outfit three weeks later. And you could see the huge difference. So I know it's, it's uh, we're, we're blessed. Amazing. And of course, you know, as a doctor, you'll know more about that than anyone else listening for sure. But I can't wait to find out about you, your life to explore what it is that you do as a doctor on the streets of New York. But before we do that, there's an interesting story behind you, Dr. Ray. So I have three questions for you to get us going. Where were you born? What was, was life born. like for you as a child? Well, I'll give you all three and then you, you, can, you can blend them into the order you wish. So where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? So I was born in Queens, New York in 1985, uh, smack dab in the era of the crack epidemic in New York City. And I was raised by a single mother on government assistance in a poverty stricken area without a father figure. Um. And my childhood was, my past is very different from my present. Like my aspirations as a child were to be arrested for something more violent than the gangsters in my neighborhood and then, then, then my relatives who were in and out of jail and then the gangsters that I would hear in the rap music and the gangsters that I would see in the movies. Like these were my only father figures. So my aspirations as a child were to literally be arrested for something that was that was much more newsworthy than what they were being arrested for. So the bravado, the lack of masculine energy kind of led me down that path of understanding that that was the better way to proceed. Okay, and you were arrested. What were you arrested for? So I was arrested for like vandalism, graffiti in the New York City streets, but I was lucky enough to be so young that the police, uh, I got arrested on my block. And I was like, I had like this altercation or this misunderstanding with a person from my neighborhood. And I saw their name, he did graffiti as well. So I exited out with a permanent marker and put my name on top of it. Um, and as I was doing that, the police came, I, I identified them in the undercover vehicle and I ran away, but you know, they caught up to me. They slammed me on the floor, threw me against the gate, put handcuffs on me. But I just, ha I just so happened to be about 13 years old when that happened. So, you know, the guy, he looked at me, the police officer, and he was probably like, I'm about to get off work. Where do you live? And I, I lived in that house. And then he just took me home in handcuffs. And my mother's like, I'll take care of him. And then they took off the handcuffs and I never made it to the precinct. Um, and then I was arrested in the Dominican Republic as well for something um, like a, a physical altercation. And then they let me go as well. And the reason why I, I bring this up is because, one, you asked for it. And also because I came to realize that my path has been ordained. Like if I look back, things are much more than a coincidence. Like the way things happen, I was always close enough to the fire to feel the heat, but I never got burned. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, it's one of those things where I was able to identify, see what was going on, and I was exposed to that environment, but I was never the bad guy. I was always the good guy. 
Like I was the bad, I was the guy who I was the good guy who was acting like a bad guy, hanging out with the bad guys. So whenever they would commit a crime, for example, I was the one shouting in the background, the cops are coming. The cops are coming. They weren't coming. I was just trying to get them to stop what they were doing. So, you know, because that's the only like when people black out, there's certain things that they listen, they the only they only pay attention to. And that's one of the things they only paid attention to, like the 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 presence of the cops. And this would uh, always allow me to, like, get through to them. Okay. Thinking about those times then, I mean, you were a very different person now to who you were then. So what lessons did you take at that time? And looking back in hindsight, what lessons do you take from it now? You say you're ordained. I, I understand what you mean by that, or I think I do. But more specifically, what lessons have you taken from that life experience? The lessons I've taken is that if you're raised without a father, it's a horrible thing. But what may be even worse is being raised with the wrong father. So one of that's like the biggest lesson where a man, a boy, a human being with uh, with testosterone mainly flowing through their bloodstream is going to look for a way to exert that energy, whether it's in a positive setting or a negative setting. So being raised without a father was something that I learned and I extrapolated into my fatherhood now as a father. Uh, you have to be there for your kids, but it's not just providing for them financially. Is also spending time with them. It's also being a beacon of hope for them. It's also being a healthy man for them. Because way too often, we're very familiar with our profit and loss sheets and our balance sheets in our business. But we don't even know what's the nutritional value of the food that we're putting in our body. And what happens is kids, the people you love, they will do as you do, not necessarily as you say. So I've heard in one of your interviews where, oh, no surprise, my daughters are very, very in tune with what it is to KPI. It's because they witness you the whole time. So when I when I have three kids, I have Reynolds, he's seven years old. I have Xavier, he's six years old. They're both from a previous marriage. I got remarried and now I have my newborn baby daughter. And, you know, the biggest lesson to me was the detrimental effects of not having the right masculine figure in the household. Because okay. once again, yeah, yeah, once again, you could have you could be. You could not have a dad, but you may, it may even worse. It may be even worse to ha have the wrong dad at home. Okay. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but I guess people in the audience now will be screaming and saying, what, why have we only got reference here on the dad? What about the mom? Because all of those qualities are equal, equal in a woman too. So you make lots of reference to fatherhood. Is that because you feel that you didn't have that guidance in your life? Or do you feel? Well, yeah, because, ahead, be, be, because there, there are many things that you said there that seem to exclude the mother. I'm sure you're not meaning that, but 
it could be misinterpreted as that. Well, just to clarify, um, my mother raised me by herself. If it wasn't for her, I'd be dead or in jail. And uh, to me, women are on a pedestal. So let's let's be clear that this is not to to minimize the 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 role of a mother and her importance in a child's life. But I'm speaking from my biased opinion. A woman cannot show a boy how to be a man because a woman is not a man. So she could try, but the anatomy, the physiology of a female versus a male is documented. It's different. It just is. This is what it is. So, you know, a mother tends to be more nurturing. You know, in general, I mean, it's a case by case basis. You would have to look at every single household and, 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 but in general, the mother's more nurturing, more support, supportive. A father tends to be nurturing, supportive, but in a different way. You know, so, you know, again, not to minimize any of the roles that a mother may play in a, in a boy's life, but at the end of the day, for a boy to be a man, um, this is the biggest lesson I learned. Like you have to be led by a man and then a real man at that. So it's, it's not enough to be born with a male anatomy. It's also to have like the daily habits of a breadwinner because there's universal laws. The universal law of a man, for example, is to protect your family, to provide for them, and also lead them, you know? And it's like, you can't really protect your family if you're not able to jog down the block without being out of breath. You can't really provide for your family if you're having financial difficulties. And you can't lead your family, family adequately if you're not even able to lead yourself adequately. So, you know, they say that shoulders are made to bear weight and hips are made to bear children. You know, so what that means is as a man, the weight of your, sh the weight of the world is on your shoulders and rightfully so, because they're your world, your family, the people you love are your world. So, and their weight is on your shoulder because they are a reflection of you. So, like, if you look at it for for any of the listeners who may be having marriage problems, if you take extreme accountability, most likely the marriage problems have been indirectly caused by you. If you're having, if your dog is misbehaving, let's say something a little bit lighter, you know, like a lighter example. If your dog is misbehaving, it's me. It basically the dog has not been exercised enough. He hasn't been taken out. He hasn't been walked. He hasn't been stimulated, and that's the caregiver of the dog's fault. So, you know, these, these sound like hard truths that not are not too popular, but remember a real friend is going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. That makes sense. It does. Are you, are you calling you, you saying you're my real friends now then? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, we all need, a, there's some things Jeff that, 
as I talk to you and I and I and I talk to this listener that I'm imagining, I'm also talking to myself. Sure. Right. You know what let, I mean? Let let me just try and understand what you're saying. So, this is my interpretation of what you've said. I don't think you're putting a man, or to use your words, a real man, as in some kind of superhuman that's better than a woman, even though you say you put women on a pedestal. I don't think we're talking here about men and women per se. What I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, what I think you're saying is biologically women have a function to which they are attuned to in the main and not every woman for sure and also men have a biological wiring function who are not all equal also but in general as you say in the forming of a child's life for you and in your experience and that's all we can talk about not for every human on the planet of course is that you had a wonderful mother who's kept you alive, kept you out of jail, but I think you're saying by not having a father who, to use your words, was a real man, didn't give you the guidance that you required when you were younger. And therefore, you had to find all that out later in life. And what you're saying now is because of those things, and we'll include the dog in here, the dog might be misbehaving because they haven't had enough exercise. So in rounding all that up, I think what you're saying is life is about cause and effect. And you have to understand the causes in, that's happened in your life to understand the effects of who you are and where you are. Now, am I on the right road here or have I gone off completely? No, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate, I appreciate you translating that. You know, basically... In general, it's like for you to for you to fix something, you need to get to the root cause, just like you said. So, yeah. you know, if you're suffering from high blood pressure, for example, diabetes, instead of taking the medication every 12 hours, why don't you just go deeper and look at the cause of the hypertension that you're having? Is it a sedentary life? Is it one too many steaks? Is it the alcohol? So I... I, for me to understand things, this is how this is how I became a doctor. They make us understand like like once we learn a definition of a pathophysiology, we also learn like the root cause and all these deep things. So, you know, you you basically broke it down, yeah, for sure. And by the way, not everyone's going to agree with me. Uh, everyone, this is relative to my life experiences. This is relative to the content that I consume. So, for example, I do martial arts just to give just to give the listener um, a, a perspective of where my opinion comes from. I do martial arts. I lift weights. I track my food. I lead a healthy lifestyle, and I believe in a tradition traditional structure. So my opinion comes from there. But if you're let's say if you're on the other side of the spectrum, where you play tennis and you enjoy drinking from Thursday to Sunday. And one of your best fast pastime is watching your favorite movies 
three days out of the week and you don't have a business, you're employed. So obviously my opinion is going to be a little bit different from yours because of our different realities. So I'm not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> which is fine. You know, which is fine. But I know that deep down in my conscience, drinking the alcohol is not good for you. I know deep down in my conscience, sitting down and watching whatever amount of hours you do of, of TV when you could have used that time for walking or spending with your wife is not good for you. I know that not exerting your masculine energy is not good for you. There's something called survival of the fittest. You're alive. I'm alive. We're alive because our ancestors survived. And how did they survive? They didn't have Uber Eats. They didn't have delivery. They would go out to wherever it is they had to go out and bring the food back home in whatever means necessary. The, 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 what kept them warm in the winter, if your ancestors come from cold weather, was most likely at an animal's expense. Like the fur jacket that they would wear would be from, like, let's say, you know, fighting or, or capturing a bear and, and wearing the bear's um, fur. So it's 2023. We don't have to go that far. But at the end of the day, there's no way that not leaning towards optimal health is good for you, no matter how sporadically you do it. So a lot of people, they'll say, oh, I'm a social drinker. What's wrong with that? I say that's a problem. I say people who are social drinkers have a drinking problem. And allow me to explain why. Again, this is jarring. You're like, wait. But I drink a beer on the weekends. But let me explain. If you're consuming something that is known to affect so many people, directly or indirectly, and you know it's a poison, then that's a problem. Now, Dr. Ray just diagnosed you with a drinking problem. Okay, I get that. I get that. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, you know, not that many people want to hear it. This is why I, I, I said it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, this is something I want to get onto. But we're dealing with, if I may say, quite a lot of controversy here, which is good. So your teenage years, you dropped out of high school. You did all kinds of stuff. You were, you were not the person then who was going to become this heroic doctor and save people's lives. So what happened, Ray? What was the catalyst for change from the guy born in Queens who, was, who wanted to be arrested for worse stuff than anybody else had done? What was the catalyst? Why, why change? What happened? Thank you for the question. I remember it as if it were yesterday. Um, the person who shot at me was not able to touch me with the bullet. But this happened in the Dominican Republic. In a small town. I eventually found out who it was. And I was planning 
a homicide. I was planning to murder this person because of my ego. My ego was like, I can't believe this person disrespected me this way. Oh my God, how dare they? And I assembled a group of deported thugs, like people that were had the opportunity to be in the States. They, def- they decided to choose a life of crime and were deported back to the Dominican Republic. And I, these were my acquaintances. And we were planning a revenge. I found out where he lived. I found out we had weapons. We had everything we needed until one day I was on top of a staircase around noon, feeling the Caribbean sun. And I was looking down at my mother drinking her coffee after eating lunch. And I got that echo in my voice, Jeff. The same echo I've been hearing my entire life. But for this time, I actually paid attention. The voice said, if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to end up dead or in jail. And this is something that my junior high school teachers mentioned, my high school teachers, even elementary school. But I just I always brushed it off. But this final time, I paid attention. Okay, let, let's just examine what's going on here, if, if I may. Sure. You had this voice. Who Whose voice was this? I attribute it to divine intervention. Okay. Was it your voice? I heard it inside of my head, yes, sir. Like it wasn't my mom saying it to me. I was looking at my mother when I heard it. Okay. It, I ask because I've come across this a number of times. So was it a male voice or a female voice? Oh, male voice. Okay. Did you recognize the voice? No, sir. No, but it was a male voice and it was not your voice. From what I remember, no, sir, yeah, it was not yeah. my voice. And you've heard it multiple times through your life? Yes, sir. Okay, so you're in Dominican Republic. So I've been to Dominican Republic several times, but for someone who's listening, can you explain what it's like? Where is it and what it's like? The Dominican Republic is an island in the Caribbean where, you know, you could just Think about your beautiful white sand beaches with the light blue water. You can imagine a mixed race of people all speaking the same language because, you know, there was a hub for slavery. It was a hub for slavery that came from Africa, a hub for slavery that came from Spain. So you'll find different texture of Dominicans. Plus, we share the island with Haiti. So we have a, a, a mixture of cultures. But for the most part, the citizen of the Dominican Republic is extremely hospitable, very God-fearing, very, very welcoming person who's always smiling and ready to help you, especially if you tip them. <laughs> you know, like if, you, if you go to a hotel, one of the tricks, guys, everyone who's listening, listen, I'm, I'm, I, I speak about very serious things, but I also have a sense of humor. And I dare to share, if you plan on going on vacation, go to the Dominican Republic. You'll enjoy it very much, but come with tip money because once you give the person, the locals tips, especially if you're like at a resort, they will bend over backwards for you. Like they will do They'll go above and beyond for whatever it is that you need, as I'm sure is the same in, in the UK as well. But over there, you know, the, the, the American dollar goes a very long way. Yeah, it's certainly not the same in the UK. Definitely not. No, no, oh, no, no, no. I'm uh, sorry, I thought yeah. it was. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing at all like that. 
Uh, mixed gotcha. culture, yes, but the tipping is not like the U.S. and uh, Dominican Republic. I enjoy the Dominican Republic. Uh, I've I've been numerous times. The beaches are fantastic. You have the Caribbean mm-hmm. on one side, the Atlantic on the other. It's very different. As you say, Haiti shares the island, and Haiti is one of the poorest countries on the planet and has suffered earthquakes and terrible tragedies and things like that. And yet, as you say, people are very, very hospitable, happy and God-fearing. So mm-hmm. let's go back to the story then. Why did somebody take a shot at you? Because when I when I arrived to the Dominican Republic, it was in 2001, about two months after the 9-11 attack in New York. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, before the attack, my mother was informed that I was in the streets, that I was a gang member. And this was in New York. She was informed in New York. And one of the things Caribbean parents do is that they will deport you themselves to your country of origin so you can appreciate what America has to offer. So about two months after the 9-11 attack, my mother and I went on a voyage <laughs> to the Dominican Republic. She's like, I'm not letting you get arrested again. I'm not, I'm not losing my only child. Guys, I'm the only child. So my mother went with me to the Dominican Republic. So I ended up in the Dominican Republic because, um, you know, I was, I was in the streets and my, there was a one-way ticket to jail. You know, to death or jail. And and that's how I ended up over there. Okay. So when I got to the Dominican Republic, I went over there as a gang member. And when I went over there as a gang member, I was wearing like the beads and I was like, I'm from New York. You know, like you've ever met those conceited people from New York. They're like, I'm from New York. You know, I'm, I was one of them, you know. So I went to the Dominican Republic thinking I was the big guy. But little did I know, I was only 15 years old. And these, there were people in, that, like, when people are losing in life, they will hate on you. So they will show some kind of envy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm this, this young guy from New York, you know, who's able to travel internationally. I'm an American citizen. I'm in their backyard basically disrespecting them indirectly and then uh you know on a christmas christmas day around three in the morning after arguing with my mother i went out to the street riding my 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 scooter and then that's when they caught me okay so they caught you what does that mean i was driving around smoking a cigarette uh at 15 years old on a scooter. At six, at 16 at this time, yeah. Okay. At 16. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I left, I got to the Dominican Republic when I was 15. And then, and then, uh, 16 was when this happened. I saw a moped coming towards me. And I was, as I was turning the corner, and the guy said, Hey, stop right there. We're the only ones, but I'm from New York. So usually when people say stop right there, I'm thinking to myself, maybe they need directions. This is what I was thinking while uh, briefly intoxicated on alcohol. 
So I stopped. But I had a moped that you can't really turn. You can't stop accelerating because it will turn off. So like I kept accelerating just to keep it on. And I see this guy walking towards me, a big man. I'm 16 years old. This guy's like an obese man, like six feet tall, maybe 280 pounds or something. And as he's walking towards me, I'm like, this guy is disheveled. Like his pants are ripped. His shirt was just like, like, he doesn't look like a guy who needs directions. He looks like a local. And as he gets closer, I notice that he has a gun in his waist. And I'm like, hey, in Spanish, like, what do you need, bro? What do you need? Like, I'm my my spider senses, my adrenaline is starting to rise. And then he grabs my hand, boom, with a man's grip. Stay right there. But the lucky part about me were two things, Jeff. One, I played football in New York City, American football. And one of the things I learned was when you run away from something, or someone's trying to catch you to tackle you. You don't run straight. You run zigzag. Right? Yeah. The next thing was the scooter I had was souped up. Like it was made to go faster. So I accelerated it, eventually breaking the guy's grip. As I accelerated, I was swerving with the same motion that I would in football. Yeah. And as I was swerving, all I heard was gunshots. Bum, 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 bum. In the quiet Caribbean night, all you hear is gunshots. You don't hear any cars in the Caribbean at three in the morning. You don't hear anything. It's just, you know, it's not, it's not like New York where the nightlife in the Caribbean, it, it, gunshots just echoed, echoed, echoed. And I made it home. You know, and and that was that was one of the, the that was the initiation of my turning point in life. Okay, so you don't you don't know who the guy is at this stage. You're rocketing away at full speed on your souped up scooter, zigzagging across the road. The shots are firing, boom, 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 boom. You get back and you think, right. I'm going to find out who this guy is. I'm going to get my buddies and I'm going to kill him. So you put these thoughts into action. It's coming to a head. And then you hear this voice again. If you keep on going, Ray, you're going to die or end up in jail, one or the other. Then, yep. what, then what happened? Once I got that voice, I finally succumbed to it. I agreed to it. I was like, you're right. I thought to myself, this is what's going to happen to me. And I was like, all right, I got to stay busy because if I don't, if I don't get busy, I'm just going to fall back. And guys, listen, whether you used to live the street life or whether you are not, but you got to realize if you're bored, you know, that's when doubt creeps in. That's when they say that boredom is the devil's playground. So you have to stay busy. And you may not be suffering from someone trying to kill you and trying to do a murderous uh, payback, but you may have goals in your life. You have things that you're striving for. And idle time is your worst enemy. And I realized this at 16 years old. And I thought to myself, 
because you know i used to box and when they closed the boxing gym i used to go to that's when i got arrested because i i didn't have the refuge and this is what i noticed at that point in time so i'm like i need to get a job i need to go to the states i need to go back to america and i need to work i need to get a city job you know where i'm from poverty stricken area if you work for the city you have a steady income benefits and a big screen tv you're successful those are the epitome of success so i thought to myself job security comes from being a blue collar worker blue collar worker that i gravitate towards are like first responders so i did the process of elimination this is at the staircase as i was looking at my mother and i was like police officer nah they're not my best friends right now a uh, firefighter no not really crazy about running into a burning building. Oh, I know what I could do. I could be a paramedic. I could be an EMT. And that was like the initiation of like my road into becoming a healthcare provider. This this thought happened to me in 2002. If you look here, here's my transition from 2003. This is my diploma from becoming an emergency medical technician. I've been in healthcare for 20 years. So and this is you, how it started. You're, you're in the Dominican Republic. You hear this voice. You've got your gang ready to terminate a life. And you think, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll be a paramedic. <laughs> so how did you get out of the gang culture? Slowly. I just stopped showing up to all the activities. I slowly just started keeping away from it. Slowly, you know, there's certain things that you have to treat like a band-aid and just pull it off. But with this lifestyle, as, as, as the weeks, the months and the years progressed, I started slowly getting away from it. So it wasn't abruptly, but eventually, I just stopped showing up. Okay. And and so you dropped out of high school. You're in the Dominican Republic. You think, okay, I need to get re-educated now. I'm going to be a doctor, paramedic. How did you then pick up your education? What was, what was the story there? I took a GED, General Equivalency Diploma, which basically here in the States... Uh, dropping out of high school is not uncommon. So I eventually took the GED class. I got tired of the class and I just challenged the exam and passed it. Because uh, academically, I never really had a problem. Like when I did go to school, when I did go to class, I would always like I, I have like old grades and stuff that said that the report card said is very capable if he applies himself disrupts the class but it's very smart and then it'll be like and then i get an a plus or a hundred or 90 out of a hundred in the classes where the attendance was being taken so like the attendance of the school day was taken on third period and that's the class i went to so i could stay under the radar with my mother you know this is how i was able to prolong my my derailment okay so you got the gd yes. then then what happened from there 
you know, I eventually continued to pursue my my world into into like becoming a first responder and being a first responder and living the first responder life. It started off with just wanting job security. But then I met Eric, Eric Knapp, and he survived 9-11. He was my partner. And he was there helping the people. And I have this person next to me. I'm like, wait. You know, because when 9-11 happened, I was like 15 years old. So I'm like, you survived that, bro? He's like, yeah, I survived it. And then I started looking at him like, wow, he's a hero. So I, I, you know, I call it mentorship. Yeah. But it could also be a father figure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, took me under the wing. He's like, hey, this is what it takes to be a really good first responder. This is what it takes to be a really good emergency technician. We ended up starting a business together, teaching different nursing homes, different daycare centers, CPR and first aid. Then I went ahead and became a paramedic in 2007. So after being an EMT for four years, I went and took, I went from basic life support to advanced life support. And then this is how, like, it, it just slowly progressed. And what you see in me, I just want to let everybody know, I'm a product of mentorship. I don't take credit for any of this. It was divine intervention. God, the universe, whatever you believe in, put things and people in my path that I was humble enough to pay attention to and follow their lead. And this is how I've been able to amass the uh, accomplishments that I that I have. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. So let's talk about your work then. So working as a doctor on the streets of New York, I guess you've seen some crazy things, right? Gangland warfare and all kinds of things. But what's it really like working an ambulance on the street in the Bronx? It's it's a humbling experience. You really get to see how fragile life can be. You really get to see, because guys, like like Jeff said, I work in the Bronx. So whenever you see like any news of New York and any traumatic things going on, there's usually in East New York, Brooklyn, or the South Bronx. And the South Bronx is where I gained all my paramedic experience. So I don't work at a country club, you know, and I became a doctor in the Dominican Republic. So like the things I've seen are very traumatizing. And, you know, what I learned in Dominican Republic and what I learned working on the ambulance in the streets of the Bronx is, you know, how, how fragile life is, how lack of education really affects people's health how poverty is linked to everything that these people are suffering from, and also how some people just don't want to be helped. They're there, and some of them are very comfortable. They don't want to, they're not striving for more. They're not interested in the secrets of success. They just want to live their life, and they might run across some information that has the potential to change their life and they'll it'll go in one ear and out the other so you know en- enlighten me 
what's it what's a day in the life of a paramedic in south bronx what kind of things do you encounter let's push it even further and ask you what's the craziest thing you've encountered so the crazy like on a nutshell a lot of people they're poor so when they call the ambulance it's either for something really really life-threatening or something very common that they didn't know was like that they interpret as life-threatening or they're just trying to avoid a taxi fee so they have like the government insurance medical insurance and the government will pay for their ambulance ride that's uh the public health system here in new york so nine out of ten calls that we receive are usually non-emergencies we're just like a glorified taxi driver until you have that one call where the person was stabbed in the heart where the person was stabbed in their liver where the person's having a heart attack where the person where the lady's giving birth to her baby and those are the calls we have to be ready for right because they they don't they in in the bronx it's one of the busiest 911 systems in the entire world you know and you could see anywhere between 12 to to, to 16 patients or assignments during a 12 hour shift, you know, and, and it's, you know, there's been days where I I've treated three dead people in one shift, especially during the whole pandemic and stuff, you know, but the worst call I've ever been on was when I was making the transition from being an EMT to paramedic, it was a summer, it was a summer afternoon and we get called to like this public housing building and everybody's going jumper down was the assignment description somebody jumped off the building and as we're approaching it doesn't look like it there's music playing there's little kids playing with the basketball and like as we're approaching i start to see someone on the floor and it's a woman as I get closer, she has a Dominican complexion. She has like a Pocahontas type of vibe, you know, like silky black hair, very, very uh, caramel skin. And I'm like, oh, that's the patient. Her body was intact. She was dead. But she was about seven like six to seven months pregnant, her husband threw her off the roof, threw her out the window. But what made it so surreal, besides the fact that I identified with her because she was from the Dominican Republic, besides the fact that she was like in her early 20s, it was that everyone kept going around about their day around her. Like she was dead on the floor. Yet the little kids were still playing basketball. So there's things that we see as healthcare providers. You know, I've chopped, I've participated in amputating a little kid's arm. I've held people's brains in my hands. You know, so there's a lot of things that, you know, we see, but I don't use any obstacles as an excuse to go cry in the corner 
I use them as emotional motivation to be stronger. How, how do you do that, Ray? You need to tap in. You need to tap into what it is that you feel and transmute it. You need to become an alchemist. If you, anyone who ever read the book Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, it says you got to turn lead into gold. So your adversity, the things you go through, your past is your lead. You got to turn that into gold. Now, do you use that lead as an excuse to go drown yourself in alcohol and go to a bar and drink? Or do you use it as an excuse to eat a bunch of endless French fries? Or do you use it as an excuse to go to the gym and exert your masculine energy? Going back to the masculinity, I got tired, sir. I, Jeff, I got tired, man. I had suicidal thoughts. Guys, I'm not speaking from a pedestal. I was 70 pounds heavier. I almost lost my life to professional development. Yes, I'm a doctor. But I didn't have the tools that I have now. I had gastritis. I was drinking seven cups of coffee per day. I, guys, I went to the Dominican Republic again. My first time was when I was in the gang life. The second time was to become a doctor. So I'm born and raised in the States. I'm learning everything in Spanish. I was broke and I have no money. All I knew was I got this goal. I want to complete it. And I'm going to do it under any circumstances. So some of the business owners and CEOs that are listening to this, you may be able to relate. You go, you black out and you got this goal and you're going to accomplish it. But then you forget about what's most important, which is yourself. You let your health slide. You let your marriage slide. There's a reason why I'm divorced. Because I did all these things. I had suicidal thoughts. My kidneys were failing me. I had an autoimmune disease covering my entire body. So when I think about these things, you may be able to, if you're, if you're listening to this or if you're watching it on video, just look at my eyes, look at the way my body language is changing. I almost died. I almost killed myself. So instead of like letting it break me down, I use this analogy of just turning it into turning it into fuel. You know, I have a brother who was kidnapped in war. He was a prisoner of war who was killed in action in the Iraqi war for the United States Army. Rest in peace, Alex Ramon Jimenez. And you can look it up. And, you know, when I'm lifting weights, I think about him. Like whenever I start putting myself like, oh, I'm tired. Ooh, I'm, I'm, uh, it's, I didn't get enough sleep. I got to show up because there's people that can't. So, you know, tapping back into the mindset, you have to do this. You have to use your emotional motivation and you don't have to go through such traumatizing things. I went through it because I'm here to pay those things forward. But just look at your kids in their eyes deeply. Like, if you really love your mother, if you really love your kids, if you really love your wife, stop talking about it and prove it with your results. Like, become a better version of yourself. Like, what better gift can a man who really loves his wife give her than to be more attractive, to make her proud of her spouse? Let's say you give her a six-pack. Let's say you go down a single-digit body fat. And you get see your abdominal muscles. That's an awesome gift. And it's not a gift that is only for her. It's a gift for you because it builds up your confidence. And if you have kids, 
it's also like a testament of what hard work is and you're setting a good example for them. So my emotional motivation, you know, you asked a very short question when I'm giving you a very long answer. When you, when you tap into your emotional motivation, look, the human being we're able to do for somebody what we won't do for ourselves. You know, you leave it up to me. I may just watch Netflix. I may just have alcohol. By the way, I've been clean for two years. I haven't had a sip of alcohol for two years. I haven't smoked for two years. But if you leave me to my vices, I may want to start using pornography again. I may want to get a prostitute. I may want to eat fast food and watch TV while drinking caffeine and smoking nicotine. So, you know, but the emotional motivation tapping into the real the mindset that allows me to make all these things happen is like my secret weapon. Because at the end of the day, we're all the same, Jeff. Let's talk about this secret weapon. Yeah, of course. I, I, I want to rewind on quite a lot about what you've said there because, yes, I asked a very short question and, yes, you gave a very long answer. But within there, there are some elements that we just can't let go. So let's pull them through. A couple of things that you said. I was so determined on my goal, nothing was going to stop me. Now, when we analyze successful people, I can share with you, Ray, they all say the same thing. Now, the definition between or the difference between our moments of weakness where we say, well, I've decided to stop drinking. And then boredom sets in or our mind drifts and you think, ah, you know, one drink won't help. And so we have one. Now, the difference between that or any other goal that you choose, I've choose, chosen alcohol because you mentioned it, the difference is when a successful person has a goal and they become unstoppable, it's not the goal that makes them unstoppable. It's the reason why they want the goal that makes them unstoppable. And if you have a big enough why, that is the reason that provides determination. Because here's the truth, Ray. Motivation starts the journey. Okay, I'm going to get a six pack. I'm abdominal six pack, not a beer six pack, right? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not going to drink again. So, but we have to think. Well, why? Let's say I don't want to drink again because my blood pressure is high. I want to reduce that, and rather than keep on drinking and taking medication, which is two bad things, right? Let's just look at the cause of this and say, okay, let's stop drinking. Now, you alluded to it earlier when you have a, have a drink and you say, hey, I know that's poison. If I put that in my mouth, that's not going to help me to reach my goal. Now, here's the difference, as I alluded to. The goal is not to stop drinking. The goal might be your health and well-being. And it's, if I drink that, then that's going to raise my blood pressure. It's going to add weight. And so anybody thinking about, oh, yeah, I've done goals and it doesn't work, 
it's having the reason of having the goal that is the driver that delivers the performance, not the goal itself. Does that make sense to you, Ray? For sure. For sure. That's the big thing. So you were, in, you were talking there and you were saying, I had this goal and I was unstoppable. I was going to be a doctor. Nothing was going to stop me. Why was it not going to stop you? What was what was the big thing for you? Because I realized that, you know, when I was making this life transition, Jeff, one of the things that helped me make the transition was being exposed to mentorship, as I mentioned, but also being exposed to self-development information and books. So like, you know, for, for the listener, you may remember Barnes and Noble, huge big bookstore. And I was first introduced to the self-development, self-improvement section of Barnes and Noble. And this is the area that changed my life. And the very first book and information that I received on self-development was a book by Bob Souza. And the title of the book is Become Who You Were Born to Be. And in this book, it's like 15 chapters, but every single chapter is talking about a rags to riches story of some of the world's most influential people. So we think about Oprah, we think about Sylvester Stallone, we think about uh, Madam C.J. Walker, we think about the owner and the creator of Starbucks, and he goes into their life story in a chapter form. And I, I, after reading this book numerous times, I was like, wow, if they did it, I could do it. And this is one of the biggest lessons I've learned. If you ask me what other lessons have you learned? One of the other lessons I've learned is that if it's been done, it could be done. And I started to realize that the potential that I have in me, the potential that we all have in us, hey, don't look at your task, don't look at your goal as this mountain, because then it will become one. You have to look at it as something that's doable. And one of the best ways to make it doable is by pursuing self-development content. Like as you speak about the secrets of success and the 11 things that they have in common, and this is part of your logo and your emblem and all this stuff, I'm just like all ears because that's the only information I need. This is why this information is so coveted and it's part of your everything you have going on because once someone knows it, once a like think about it, if you had the recipe for Coca-Cola, <laughs> what would you, you know what I mean? So it's like the recipe to success is what you've noticed from interviewing these 300 plus millionaires. But the thing is that those millionaires have to understand and everybody needs to understand it's not enough to be successful financially. The ultimate form, the foundation of self-development for everyone who, who has this bookshelf on all these books and they read all these books. Bro, but what good is it being on a yacht if you're too embarrassed to take your shirt off? Like, what good is it, really? Like, you... Listen, you can have financial security. You can have health insurance. You can have your whole life squared away for your generation and the generations to come. But none of that's going to stop you from getting punched in the mouth by a thug. 
So just a few months ago, a few years ago, people were fighting over toilet paper. So it's like you have to be functional. You have to be strong. Like, don't get a false sense of security. Like, yes, you're secure. Like, if, you know, we go to the bank or whatever. But, like, if if some something were to happen, like, let's say an intruder breaks into your house, who is your wife going to call? <laughs> it's you, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't tell the robber, you know, like, hey, man, listen. I got a bunch of money, you know, this is what I'm trying to say. So like on the ambulance, for example, I've had patients who were very successful, but had one too many drinks. And now we're on the liver transplant list. Well, now they had cancer because of the stress, like stress. I'll give you guys a fun fact about stress. Stress is the on switch for many diseases. For lack of better terms, it's the on switch. It's like what turns on an autoimmune disease. How do I know? Because it happened to me. Like I had an autoimmune disease that was dormant, eczema and psoriasis. And then the stress of becoming a doctor made it so it covered my whole body. So, you know, just to, just to let you guys know, um, you know, I mean, we could talk about this all day, man. Like, I sometimes I, I I go into so many tangents, you know, of different topics that I'm just like, I, I got to get it all out there. So I appreciate the opportunity to do so. Okay. Let's talk about health then because lots of people want to be more successful, whatever that means. Lots of people have goals. They work and they work and they work but they forget about their health and I've seen it. So Ray, what lessons can you give us now about how to attain optimal health? Yeah, so the first thing I gotta tell you, if you've been functionally, if you've been successful in your endeavor while being unhealthy or leading an unhealthy life, please use your imagination. If you're successful with what you've been doing, imagine if you were to start dialing in your nutrition. Imagine if you were to start dialing in your, your workout. Imagine you were dialing in your mindset. Oh, we're celebrating, so they're going to take us out to dinner, and I'm going to just eat and drink everything because we're celebrating at a fancy dinner. But what if you were disciplined? What if? How would that client perceive you? They'll look for you as a leader. They're like, wait, you're saying no to the stuff I'm saying yes to, even though I know I'm not supposed to be saying yes to? Think about it. If you're a CEO and you're listening, how would your employees look upon you if you start losing weight and gaining muscle? You don't have to be a bodybuilder. But just understand, if you're successful with how you are now, imagine after you start leveraging the mind-body connection. And by leveraging the mind-body connection, you're able to get one step closer towards optimal health. And what is that optimal health? That optimal health to me is fitness, family, and finances. So a lot of your listeners may have the finances portion somewhat under control. And they're, then let's focus on the other ones, right? 
fitness. Let me give you guys actionable items right away. You need to do a hypertrophy focused workout, right? So, well, first and foremost, you need to hire somebody, right? So if I have blind spots in my business and I'm trying to understand what is it that's causing the bottleneck, what it's usually you. And you need to hire a coach. You need to hire a consultant to be able to identify them for you. You have your strengths. I have my strengths. Everyone has their strengths. But if I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my business and why we're not growing, I should call Jeff Smith. Because he has experience doing this. I'm a rookie. Like, when it comes to health, I'm an expert. When it comes to business, I'm a rookie. So whenever I hear you talk about success and business, I'm like paying so much attention. You know what I mean? So the first thing the listener needs to understand, if you want to reach this point in your life, time and energy is the real currency. Expedite your results because you may be have you may be suffering from diabetes right now. You may be suffering from high blood pressure right now, not even knowing because those are silent killers. You find out and get diagnosed when it's further along. So my word of advice is understand that if you go to it, if you try to do it by yourself, you you could do it, but it makes it harder because you got your day-to-day life. You don't have the right mindset. You don't have like, what do you think is going to happen if you hang out, if you hung, if you hung out with me for, for a month? You're going to lose 10 pounds. You're going to lose 15 pounds because of like the stuff that I do. I'll show it to the person, right? So, you know, just because you don't know how to do something does not mean it cannot be done. So a lot of people, they feel like, oh, my God, I got a busy schedule. I'm always on the plane. I'm always sleeping at hotels. I don't have time. Listen, I was just with a a multi-multi-millionaire, very successful business owner in Tampa, Florida. I documented it on my Instagram, and I also documented how I went into the gym inside of the hotel room, on the hotel, and how I used my hotel room as a gym as well. So there's a way to get it done. You just need to find someone that will teach you, right? Now, one of the things I teach the people I work with is the importance of a hypertrophy-focused workout. For example, hypertrophy, a medical term for muscle growth. There's chemical reactions that go on in your muscle tissue. You have oxygen storage. You have biochemical reactions. So if you ever notice a person who exercises, they're very energized. It's because they have a lot of oxygen. Like a world-class fighter who has who has no more stamina Let's say it's the 12th round. He could be a world-class fighter, but now he's just spaghetti. So I do martial arts. One of the things I do for bigger opponents, and just so you guys can know, I'm 165, nine. I'm 5'9", five, 5 feet 9 inches, and I'm 160 pounds. I just wait for them to get tired. So once you're tired, once you have no energy, you have no confidence. Once your confidence and your energy is below, then you have no self-esteem so for all you business people who don't care about your health your lack of confidence and your your lackluster existence is also affecting your bottom line like think about how much think about how much assertive you would be in a business transaction if you were healthier awesome stuff unfortunately there's so much there's so much yeah I i can go into i didn't even go into like 
I'm so sorry. But the fitness portion, the nutrition portion, the mindset portion, there's oh, there's so much to speak about, you know, and and it's just I I, I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to at least we'll have to get you back to talk about that because unfortunately we're coming to the end of the show. But yep. with such a diverse life that you've had, dabbling in all kinds of things. And a lot of stuff we haven't even mentioned, even more controversial. However, in all of that and the person you have become, there's a question I ask every guest who comes on to the show. So, Dr. Ray, are you ready? Please. What is the most important thing you have ever learned? If you can do it, I can do it. Sounds good to me. Just because it hasn't been, just because... You don't know how to do it doesn't mean it can't be done. I like the way you said that. So if someone needs your help, how do they reach out to you? How do we contact you? You can just, I'm very, very active on Instagram. I'm very active on LinkedIn and just Google my name, Reynolds Kyrus. And, you know, one of the best ways to reach me is just uh, send me a, a message on any one of the platforms that I use. And, you know, I'm here for you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Dr. Reynolds Karras, you have been amazing. And thank you so much for being so honest and open about the earlier and darker stages of your life. I know it takes a lot of courage to do that, and I really thank you for it. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped to ignite your passion and to be a catalyst for action, giving you the fuel you need to realize your own dreams. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the like button, follow. But you know, this one has been particularly controversial in many areas. So what I'd like for you to do is to share the show, even if it's only with one person share it it might just help on another note i'm always searching for great success stories and if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest please contact me on our website at jeff-smith.com you know i really would love to hear from you and that's it thank you again dr reynolds Karras. that's all from me thank you again for listening and have a great day